uh, time to get your apps out for the first poll question of the day. Which of the following issues is of greatest concern to our specialized transportation industry? Current split sleeper birth rules, lack of state's adherence to federal definition of non-divisible load, ELD mandate, losing our 30-minute break exemption. The voice you heard up top was that of Ed Bernard, current Transportation Group Chairman for the Specialized Carriers and Rigging Association, which represents oversized and overweight haulers, among others, in its membership. Bernard was reading out a poll question to attendees of the Association's Symposium event last week in Charlotte, North Carolina, where I attended toward a window on the overdimensional world. It's a close-knit group for sure, including some owner-operators and plenty small fleet owner-ops and one where earning potential is high. But as with so much of trucking, market pressures are brought to bear and can swing wildly this way and that. One owner-operator in attendance, Bruce Arnold of Coastal Georgia, referenced dynamics in his independent operation commensurate with what so many under 80,000 pound freight haulers are experiencing of late, that is, a steady push from freight partners for lower and ever lower rates. I'm Todd Dills, and in this edition of Overdrive Radio, though, we'll be turning more toward the regulatory front with just what Ed Bernard was on his way toward introducing. Early Thursday morning featured Speaker Jim Mullen, current acting administrator of FMCSA. With his thus far very short stint at the helm of the agency following Ray Martinez's departure last fall, I'm sure that many here haven't had the opportunity to hear the former Werner General Counsel speak, so here's that chance. But before we dive in, I'll go ahead and get what you're probably most curious about out of the way. Mullen didn't give any sort of timeline or detailed prognosis for just what we, when we can expect or what we can expect to be in any hours of service related final rule from the agency. Assurance, nonetheless, that FMCSA continued to move forward with that proposal was in fact on offer. And he did also talk a bit more at length about the hours changes, as you'll hear. Here's the rest of Precision Specialized President Ed Bernard's intro of Mullen. It's a tremendous honor to introduce our keynote speaker today. Mr. Jim Mullen currently serves as Acting Administrator of the Federal Motor Carrier Safety Administration, where he oversees an agency of over 1,000 employees responsible for regulating the trucking industry with a mission to reduce crashes, injuries, and fatalities involving large trucks and buses. Mr. Mullen provides executive leadership and expert guidance on policy matters. Legislative, uh, sorry, legislative initiatives, regulatory implementation, communications, and stakeholder and congressional relations, all with the focus of helping FMCSA further its safety mission. The agency he leads regulates more than 530,000 trucking companies, 12,000 bus and motor coach operators, and approximately 4 million interstate CDL holders. Previously, Mr. Mullins served for more than a decade as the Executive Vice President and General Counsel for Warner Enterprises, one of the five largest truckload carriers in the United States. He obtained his law and undergraduate degrees from the University of Nebraska. Nancy Pelosi won't say it, but I will. It is my distinct honor and privilege to welcome FMCSA Administrator Jim Mullen. Good morning. Uh, Speaker Pelosi may not say that, I don't know. I do not know. Uh, thank you for the opportunity to be here uh, and join you. I had a nice discussion with some of you before uh, taking the stage, and 
I'll say these types of, of conferences and meetings are always very productive for me and, and my fellow uh, colleagues at FMCSA. Uh, we sit in DC or out in the state administration offices. Uh, interaction with the folks who are actually moving the freight day to day is very meaningful and very productive for us. So thank you for the opportunity. I was watching uh, with interest on the four questions and things seem to be moving downward as it related to things within our jurisdiction at the FMCSA. So I'm not sure if that's good or bad, um, but, but I'll take it. What Mullen means there is that as conference organizers displayed results from those who were answering that poll question from the audience in real time, at the top of the list with the, with the most answers uh, was the issue of state adherence to the federal definition of non-divisible load, followed by issues where FMCSA has a bit more jurisdiction, regulatory concerns over the 30-minute break exemption for oversized and overweight haulers, and ELD mandate and split sleeper regs generally. You'll recall that the Specialized Carriers Group weighed in on the agency's notice of proposed rulemaking around the hours of service with unqualified support of more flexible, true split-sleeper provisions, and argued to take the agency's proposal for seven- and three-hour splits all the way back up to five and five, essentially to allow you to split as you see fit. And as the association argued, and I quote, Allowing split sleeper berth times of 6 and 4 or 5 and 5 would not adversely impact safety, but rather would allow drivers flexibility to get rest in increments that are most conducive to their work. Search Specialized Carriers and Rigging at OverdriveOnline.com to find my Channel 19 blog post on the association's comments from late last year. We at the FMCSA, we recognize the value uh, that your sector brings not only to the industry, but also to the economy. Uh, the training skill and diligence that your drivers and your overall teams uh, bring to moving the freight uh, is admirable. Uh, your safety record uh, is very, very good, and you should be very proud of that, and I'm sure that you are. Uh, your commitment to safety uh, is critical uh, to moving that freight safely from day to day. Obviously, safety is our core mission, our only mission at the FMCSA. Our mission, as you just heard, is to reduce highway uh, fatalities involving large trucks and buses. Unfortunately, there has been a four-year increase in the fatalities involving large trucks and buses. Uh, and our, whole, our core mission this year is to reverse that trend, to get that going downward as it should be. Uh, we do have uh, the permitting issue. We understand that you folks have tremendous challenges uh, dealing with the various states' permitting processes. At the FMCSA, we support moving that process from paper to online. Uh, within the last couple of years, the FMCSA has awarded $5 million to 10 states to assist them in moving from the online, I'm sorry, from the paper to the online permitting process. We don't have a whole lot of money uh, in the grants that we can give, uh, but we look at that issue very closely every year as we award our annual grants. Uh, working for Secretary Chow has been a tremendous pleasure. Um, she has three main goals uh, that she always talks about when she's out giving speeches or even internally when we're having meetings. Safety. Safety is her top priority. Everything that we do, whether it's modifying regulations, writing new regulations, guidance, outreach, whatever it is, safety is always her top priority. Secondly, uh, improving the nation's infrastructure. We all know that our infrastructure is lagging, it's, it's in a terrible condition, and Congress needs to step up and provide appropriate funding so we can improve our infrastructure. At the DOT, we give away a lot of grant money 
which can assist as well. But we really need Congress to do their job and provide proper funding to improve our infrastructure. And lastly, uh, the Secretary always talks about embracing innovation to improve safety and mobility uh, for, for the country's citizens. And so whether it's autonomous vehicles or getting to autonomous vehicles, um, advanced driver assist technology in our space, those are things that we're working very closely with the industry to help promote those systems that can provide greater safety benefits to your industry. On this point, Mullen's right about the DOT in general promoting driver assist technology on its way toward more fully automated systems. DOT's budget request for fiscal year 2021, issued a couple weeks ago, included $32 million allocated for driving tech research overall and $7 million, quote, specifically directed at automated driving systems, end quote. That's the words of uh, NHTSA Acting Administrator James Owen in a conference call with reporters upon the budget, re the budget request released, uh, like I said, two weeks back. Six million in the administration's plan would be dedicated to advanced driver assist systems and three million to cybersecurity of those systems. Granted, that's just a small fraction of the DOT's overall budget request of $89 billion with a capital B, but the goal of funding that research? Quote, to move the ball forward, end quote, on NHTSA's stated missions, uh, mission, as Owen said, basically helping grease the skids for technology that it believes will ultimately save lives. FMCSA, according to Mullen here, is fully a part of that when it comes to automation and trucking safety. Read more about the budget request and some surveying of the general public when it comes to their concern over sharing the road with high-speed robots, as it were, via the February 13th post on my Channel 19 blog. That's over at overdriveonline.com slash channel19. One of the things that we have at our disposal is regulatory modifications, called regulatory reform. Uh, daily, we look at, at different regulations to see how we can improve them. <clears throat> And one of the things in mind, other than safety, of course, is decreasing regulatory costs. Since 2017, the DOT has, has reduced regulatory costs by $2.5 billion. $2.5 billion since this administration took over. And re reducing regulatory costs have tremendous economic benefits throughout. Employment is growing at a very fast rate faster than it has in over a decade. Unemployment is at 3.6%, the lowest rate it's been in over 50 years. So the efforts that the administration is taking, it's paying off, and it's paying off very well. So let's talk about trucking. I saw ELDs was going down from well, 35 to 20. I'm not sure what, what it is now, but ELDs, the transition from AOBRDs to ELDs, uh, that occurred in December. Uh, we're seeing very good results from that transition. We were concerned that that transition would be very problematic, and I know it was problematic, but we thought it might create more problems than it did. We haven't, and I talked to the, to the folks at CVSA regularly, talked to our state partners regularly, uh, and it seems if the transition went fairly smoothly, uh, and the roadside inspections, there's over 99% compliance rate with ELDs. Folks seem to have transitioned successfully off of AOBRDs to ELDs. Since the ELD mandate went into effect, our service violations have gone down 52%. We think that's all going to reap dividends as it relates to reducing accidents on the highways. I've seen a study or two that talks about, well, in 18, the accident frequency didn't go down, fatality rate didn't go down, therefore ELDs doesn't work. 
That's probably the most simple and flawed logic I think I've heard in some time. Just because accidents didn't go down after the LDs were mandated, therefore they don't work, to me that's nonsense. We all know in this room there are a multitude of causes of crashes on the interstates and the highways. And just because one thing didn't move the needle the other direction, specifically, that's, that's not accurate. We, uh, in our budget for next year, FMCSA has sought about $10 million more dollars uh, with NHTSA to do a crash causation study. Uh, it's been over 15 years since the FMCSA has done a crash causation study, uh, and so we're going to go forward with that assuming we get the funding. I don't know what you think about the argument that Mullen referenced here before he started talking about this latest attempt to reboot a new uh, crash causation study. I.e., I'm talking about what I've seen uh, from plenty of folks in the worlds of commentary and blogs and podcasts and on social media. That's to point out that the 2018 crash fatality and injury numbers went up in the first full year under the ELD mandate. Not down. Will a new truck crash causation study get us anywhere closer to determining any validity of a causal connection between the two? Personally, I'm not sure, but I do know that the sense of time pressure that the old electronic clock in a box can add to an everyday driver's concerns is real. For many. Alleviation of that pressure via revision of the hours rules can go a long way in putting safety back more firmly within that everyday driver's grasp, many argue. As I said at the top, Mullen couldn't comment on progress toward a revised final rule to potentially codify some of those changes when I asked him for it after his talk, but he did here seem willing to discount the argument that the ELD mandate may have contributed to that large truck-involved crash numbers rise in 2018. He would go on to address some of the particular requests of the oversized and overweight haulers in attendance at the conference when it comes to crash numbers. One of the things we talked about this morning with some of you folks is looking at the crash uh, rate for oversized and overweight vehicles uh, versus you know, the 26 to 80,000 pounds. And so we'll look and see whether how we go about doing that. And my guess is, not my guess, I'm sure, then we'll see that the safety rate of oversized and overweight uh, vehicles is safer than the general population. So with the advent of the ELDs and the mandate of the ELDs, hours of service obviously uh, became a top issue because the, quote, flexibility of uh, not using ELDs was no longer there. In other words, it was mandatory compliance. You, you couldn't, quote, cheat any longer. Uh, this administration has listened to the industry, has listened to the drivers. Uh, as you know, we've gone forward with an NPRM, which is the Notice of Proposed Rulemaking on hours of service. There are five uh, areas in that NPRM. Uh, the next stage would be a final rule, and just to kind of give you a lay of the land on how that works, uh, the FMCSA does their work in drafting the final rule. Then, of course, uh, we work closely with the Secretary's Office on review. And then once that's finished, we then send it over to the Office of Management and Budget, who has an opportunity to review it and give us feedback. Um, once OMB gets it, uh, there is a, a clock. It's supposed to be a 90-day clock, but OMB is the White House. And so OMB will take as long as OMB needs to take. And just to, just to clarify here, this particular final rule has not reached that OMB stage as yet. We will know that when it gets there. And Mullen wouldn't say either which stage of development the rule had reached within DOT, whether at the office of the secretary or still in the works with FMCSA. Uh, but the five areas, the ones that I think probably um, touch on your group the most would be expanding the shore hall, from 12 to 14 hours and 100 miles to 150 
area smiles. That was in the NPRM. An issue with that, uh, which we saw in the comments uh, to the NPRM, was that there is a concern that by expanding both the distance and the time, that folks who are on ELDs now would no longer use ELDs, that they would either take them out of the truck or those that were still within the confines of the short haul would expand uh, the freight that they're hauling. Uh, that is a concern. Uh, obviously, we feel very strongly that ELDs provide a safety benefit. Um, and so that's something that we still have to uh, determine where we're gonna land on that. The 30 minute rest break obviously is an issue should you lose uh, your exemption. And then a split sleeper berth. In the NPRM, we talked about allowing a 7-3, split sleeper berth. Uh, our rulemaking has to be driven basically entirely by data. There is data that supports that a 7-3 uh, would not compromise safety uh, or sleep patterns. There's some sleep data that suggests that going further than 7-3 could be problematic, going 6-4 could be problematic, 5-5, five, five, and so on. Um, so that also is in the deliberative stages. But the theme is flexibility. We understand that drivers out there hauling freight day to day, they need flexibility to be as safe as they possibly can. The rigid rules just do not work. Uh, and it seems as if time has proven that they do not work. And so this administration is listening and we're gonna go forward with the final rule. Another example of smart regulations of the drug and alcohol clearinghouse that went uh, live. Uh, it's been about five weeks now. There were some technical issues when we went live. Um, candidly, there was a coding error uh, that our vendor uh, was unaware of and that caused the system to slow down so dramatically. It was still working, but it was going so slow that it wasn't working. Um, but it seems to be fixed now. We believe it's fixed, it's working robustly. The complaints um, are few and far between now. There are over 600,000 drivers that have now registered on the clearinghouse. As of last Friday, there are about 6,100 drivers in the database in the clearinghouse who have tested positive or refused a blood or alcohol test. So that's 6,100 drivers who either go through the return to duty program or they're not gonna be driving commercial motor vehicles anymore. Uh, and so we believe this is a, an absolute good thing for the, for the industry and for the safety of the motor republic. As of the day after Mullen spoke, an FMCSA press release cited a large, larger uh, number of drivers who'd required those return-to-duty procedures. That'd be a total of, quote, nearly 8,000 drivers who the agency said uh, tested positive for one or another banned substance, whether pulled for a random or otherwise tested. Those drivers will have difficulty changing jobs, no doubt, given prospective employers are required to query the database. They may have issues with their current carriers, too, when those carriers do their required annual database query. I want to touch briefly on, uh, it's not a regulation, uh, but the DOT um, was around uh, Christmas time, I believe, uh, granted a petition um, filed by the industry to preempt the California meal and rest break regulations. Um, I won't bore you with the long details as to how that came to be. Um, but that was granted in December and in January we granted the same petition for the American Bus Association so now it applies to bus and motor coach and there is another pending petition from the state of Washington to preempt uh, that state's meal and rest break regulations. Even if those regulations were well intended uh, by these states, uh, the DOT believes that they are not consistent with the federal relations, regulations. They do not provide additional safety effects. Some could argue 
that they detract from safety, and so that is why the DOT granted that petition uh, last year. Another issue we talked about this morning um, was CSA. Um, as you all know, CSA has been around for 10 years now. Uh, Congress mandated that uh, the National Academy of Sciences do a study of CSA, which was done a little over two years ago. And the thing that the National Academy of Sciences recommended was we use this system called item response theory, IRT. IRT is a very complicated, complex statistical modeling. Um, we're, we've designed it. We've been writing it side by side with CSA for a while now. Uh, it seems to be a very good tool. And remind you, CSA was intended only to be a, a tool that the FMCSA could use to determine which carriers were at high risk of having accidents in the future. That was the purpose. Unfortunately, when it was rolled out by the agency, it took on a life of its own. As we all now know in this room, it's used by plaintiff's lawyers, it's used by the insurance industry, it's used by shippers. Um, that was never the intent. And you may know that there are disclaimers on the website that says, don't use this for anything. This is entirely an internal tool but we can use all the disclaimers we want, but judges still allow it in evidence and other folks still use it. Um, so again, it was never intended. Uh, I was never a big fan of CSA, quite candidly, when I was in the, in the private sector in the regulated community. Uh, the flaws, we're working on fixing those. IRT fixes some of those things, but the problem with IRT is it's complicated. And we're struggling with how are we going to go into a motor carrier and explain to them why we're there to do the investigation because it's that, it's that complicated. Statistic modeling is that complicated. In addition to which, I'm sure there'll be a congressional hearing on it, and I'll have a hard time explaining the statistic modeling behind IRT. I can explain that it works well. I can explain that when you use IRT and you, and you pull out the, the bottom 10% of the industry for investigation, I can show you that the accident rate of those carriers, about five times those above the national average, but the actual math behind it is complicated. So we're working through that process and we'll make the determination in the near future which way to go. And whichever way they do go, you can expect that private services that offer insurance companies and others a window onto CSA scores will follow, whether or not the FMCSA chooses to make the carrier safety scoring system public again. I got a bit of a window onto one such private service in wide use by insurance underwriters at the Specialized Carriers Conference the same day of Mullen's talk, in fact. That system, according to one of the insurers who presented on it, not only continues to do the math on carriers throughout the nation and provide it to insurer subscribers, but it also computes scores for the smallest of carriers who in FMCSA's system, as it once displayed to the public, would not have registered a score in most categories at all. As we've seen for the smallest of fleets in that system, the likewise small number of inspections and or violations for such fleets causes a single one to have an outsized impact on scoring. If you've found yourself staring down such a reality when renewing your own insurance, be in touch via 530-408-6423, the Overdrive Radio podcast line. In short, as Mullen uh, noted about the CSA system's public release, it may not have been intended for public consumption, but the cat is long out of the bag when it comes to entities like insurance companies with any kind of incentive to subscribe to and use these private services intent on keeping CSA scores available. So I've talked about regulations, I've talked about DOT determinations on petitions, um, but we don't have the silver bullet. We know to drive down fatalities involving large trucks and buses, we need to work with the regulated industry 
and other stakeholders. And so we're working very hard on that. And events like this are very important to us to get that message out and also to hear what you guys think needs to be done to improve highway safety. A couple examples is our roads, our safety. Our roads, our safety. Uh, we have a number of partners in the industry in that. And the design behind that is to promote and educate um, passenger vehicles, the motoring public, about how to operate around commercial motor vehicles. They're not the same as a, as a Toyota Corolla. You gotta be careful around uh, large trucks and buses. So we're, we're spending money, we're doing outreach to educate folks in that regard. Another uh, area that we're doing some outreach is called the ADAS, the Advanced Driver Assist Systems, where we're working with the regulated community associations, truck manufacturers, ATRI, to spread the message on, on the safety benefits of these advanced driver assist systems, whether it's automatic emergency braking, automated cruise control, lane departure devices. <clears throat> We're working with, those, with our partners to get that information out to assist in the proliferation of those safety technologies. Those companies that have used those safety technologies can tell you the benefits they've had, and we want to be a conduit to, to convey that message, right? So when, you, when the uh, manufacturers come knocking at people's door, everybody always thinks they're just trying to sell me another product. So we're trying to convey the message that these products work. We're probably not gonna get in the business of mandating these product, uh, products in the federal government at this point in time, but we wanna be part of the solution in getting the message out. A little good news there, perhaps, vis-a-vis -vis the pursuit of mandates on automated type features like auto braking and lane departure warning, which have been called for by some advocates. At once, if you've got experience with such systems, I'm curious to know if your experience dovetails or not with what Acting Administrator Mullen has uh, had to say here about the safety-enhancing nature of them. Have they changed how you operate where the rubber meets the road for the better or the opposite? Tell me via 530-408-6423. Another uh, outreach program that we're working on is called The Voices of Safety. Uh, these are basically public service announcements aimed at raising awareness about how motors can share the roads with CMVs. We do videos, radio spots, billboards, digital ads, um, sharing, and this all from driver's perspective, sharing what they see out there on the road. Uh, our latest uh, Voices uh, video features Wilbanks Trucking Services uh, and their driver, Josh. Wilbanks is the specialized carrier that moved the United States Capitol Christmas tree from New Mexico to DC, <clears throat> I had the opportunity to meet them in DC when they arrived. Uh, they moved it very safely, thank goodness. Um, but I wanna share with you the video that Josh did. So we can roll the video now. Regular readers will recall I spoke with Brombach Stevens of Wilbanks on his portion of the cross-country Capitol Christmas tree specialized haul this past year. Search Wilbanks, W-I-L-B-A-N-K-S, Wilbanks Trucking at overdriveonline.com to find that. Here's audio from the video that uh, Mullen introduced. Hi, I've been driving trucks for 20, 30 years now. I'm a third generation rig mover, and that's what our family's done our entire life. It was an honor to haul the Capitol Christmas tree. Our journey started in Red River, New Mexico, and we made our way through the Southern states, all the way to Washington, DC. Safety to our companies are our number one goal. You have to be professional, you have to stay focused, and you have to pay attention. We all have families to go back home to every evening, and that's what our goal is every day. Advice I would give people is when you approach an oversized load to not panic and not get between our load and our escort. 
Escort vehicle, it's, a, it's got Escort lights and wide load banners on the front and rear bumper. There could be up to two to four Escorts per load. The purpose of the, the Escort is to warn people of what's coming in their direction and to give us a comfort zone. There's not a lot of room to maneuver between the loads and the problem is people, they're trying to rush to get around the load. Just be patient and we'll get you around the, the load safe and sound. It's our roads. It's our safety. Let's share the road together safely. So in total, our, the Voices of Safety ads uh, that we've uh, already pushed out have been viewed over 573 million times. And so uh, thank you to the Millbanks team and Josh for, for their involvement in that. And we'll continue with that program to help improve the image of the industry, which we believe uh, is wrongfully tarnished from time to time. We know that the industry, and specifically you folks in this room, your top priority, your top commitment is safety, and we appreciate that very much. And we want to work with the Raymond community and the industry to help improve, drive down those accidents and those fatalities involving large trucks and buses. So with that, I'll take any questions uh, that you may have. The first question came from the Specialized Carriers Association VP of Transportation, Stephen Todd. Everybody knows what I'm going to ask. They hear me say it over and over. You referenced a 26 to 80,000 pound category earlier, the heavy load, so to speak. And I hope I'm wrong about this, but we in our industry, for the most part, move in excess of 80,000 pounds. But if I'm correct, our industry, with all due respect to those great folks that move 26,000 to 80,000, our industry in my words, get lumped in to that category when it comes to accident records. We, however, believe, perhaps we're a bit biased, I don't think so, that we do it safer than most of the others. We look at our records, our FMs, our CSA scores and such. Can you give us any reason for optimism one day that perhaps our specialized transportation industry, that is those that move beyond 80, legal permits might one day be able to be separated out for the sake of analysis? Yeah, so uh, NHTSA predominantly does that analysis. Uh, and so uh, we are working with NHTSA on that crash causation study I referred to earlier. And yes, we will look and analyze how we can segregate over 80,000 pounds as part of that crash uh, causation analysis. I've also asked the our research and IT department to see what they can provide for me by way of a breakout in the meantime. Um, as you know, the crash reporting, and I don't know the answer, may or may not um, be sufficiently robust to give us that information at this point in time, but I've asked and I'll report back. Any other questions? Hi. Oh, sorry. Hi. My name is Lance Green. I work with the Idaho Transportation Department. Um, I just have a question for clarification. Um, we had a speaker yesterday that indicated that infrastructure was not as bad um, as we claim um, that it is, um, and he provided some evidence for that. He made the comment today that our infrastructure is in decay. Um, what's your evidence for that? Because um, it's conflicting viewpoints here. I just want to get clarification. Well, the, uh, I always get this wrong. It's basically the Academy of, of Engineers, the Association of Engineers. What do they rate us? A D plus? Does anybody in the room know? I think it's a D plus. So I'd say that's pretty good evidence that things aren't all that uh, all that cozy. I, I drive. Um, I, I see what's out there. I 
see the congestion that's caused by the problem. So I'm not sure who the speaker was yesterday, and in all due respect, I just absolutely disagree with that. Uh, I, I work for an insurance carrier in uh, the trucking world. Uh, so, uh, so quick question. What is, what is FCS doing to help stem the tide of nuclear verdicts, to help like tort reform? You know, are there anything specifically you guys are doing to work with insurance carriers to help you know, promote the technology to safer operations? Yeah. So um, the nuclear verdicts uh, as such, we don't have really any regulatory authorities in that space. Um, I know there are efforts by folks in the industry to work on tort reform state by state and at the federal level, um, but we don't have really much say in that. Um, on a kind of the collateral side, you know, so whether CSA is somehow um, facilitating some of that, we're, work, we're working at correcting the, what I would call the inherent flaws with CSA. Um, I shared this earlier with, with the group that I spoke with, um, you know, CSA, Obviously, the scores are no longer public, um, but we receive at the FMCSA on a weekly basis about 45, 40 to 45 FOIA requests, Freedom of Information Act, which allows the general public to get information from the government. <coughs> they have a right to that under statute. And so those 40 to 45 FOIA requests that we receive weekly, probably about 38 to 40 of those are gonna be from plaintiff's <coughs> lawyers involved in litigation involving large trucks. So even if you eliminate the CSA issues, you're always going to have the ability, these lawyers always have the ability to FOIA the data. Um, so I, I, I'm not exactly answering your question other than to say our regulatory authorities don't really permit us to get into the state-by-state -state tort and tort reform issues, uh, but we're doing some things to try to assist in the proliferation of the safety technologies, drive down the access, things like the voices of safety, our roads, our safety, uh, to help spread the message that the industry is in, in considerably better shape than, than some plaintiff's lawyers and others would like to be true. So I'm not sure if that exactly answers your question, but that's the best I have for that. Other questions? Easy crowd. Okay, thank you very much. Have a great day.